Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Welcome fellow nerds to another episode of The Extra Inch and before we start the podcast proper just a bit of admin you might have noticed through the way you're listening to this that we've got our own feed now we've got our Extra Inch feed we're our own entity and we were featured this week on iTunes New and Noteworthy Mm -hmm. because we're both new and noteworthy please do subscribe to the feed if you're not already follow the Twitter account The Extra Inch leave us reviews We've had two so far. Um, thank you to Dave Forrest, which is a real name, I think, and Shaman Charizard, which I suspect is not. Uh, Dave Forrest said, the older and more mature brother of TFC, great insight into tactics and the inner workings of the game. TFC is the pre-match burger and the extra inch is the Michelin-style restaurant, both great but in different ways, which I enjoyed very much. Thank you. That's very sincere, Dave. And uh, Shaman Charizard says, thanks from your monkey brother, Always a quality pod and respect to you for setting off on your own path. Looking forward to listening to some cracking insight. And most importantly, that's Coys for Come On You Spurs. Cheers, monkey. I like the fact that he used my tagline, but I was very confused by the name and the monkey references. Anyway, we've had nine iTunes ratings so far. Um, mostly five star, but one four star and one one star. So I think um, we can probably say that the one star was from Miguel Delaney. Um, please do rate and review if you like what you hear. If you don't like it, it'd be better if you didn't review us. We don't really want any more one stars. But uh, yeah, five star reviews would be great. Anyway, my name's Wendy, and as ever, I'm joined by my sidekick slash best friend, Bardi. Hi, Bardi. Hi, Wendy. And our tactics guy, Nathan. Hello, or mate. Nathan A. Clark, as he now calls himself. And this episode, we're delighted to also have two guests here to talk about football journalism. Firstly, Jack Pitbrook, the journalist from the Independent Newspaper. Hi, Jack. Hi, mate. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Your second appearance? Yes. Good to have you back on. Hoping not to get second podcast syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> and we won't be talking about VAR this time, although I think Bardi wants to ask about that later. And we've also got Dan Kilpatrick, the Spurs correspondent from ESPN and co-host of the Tottenham Way podcast. Hi, Dan. Hello, mate. And I think the last time we were on a podcast together was when we were in the back of my car recording after a youth game. Correct. 
you shoved your phone in my face, pulled over into a lay-by, and started talking about Luke Amos. It was, I, uh, I spotted your talent very earlier. <laughs> I spotted your, your podcasting talent earlier. I think, I think you, it was before you started the Tottenham Way. It wasn't, Possibly, no. Oh, right, really, was no. it the early days of... It would be the early days of the Tottenham Way, yeah. Nice. Well, we're all here to talk today about uh, Spurs in, in the context of football journalism. And we're going to start off with... Well, I think we're going to try and go a little bit deeper than the usual chat about journalism. I, I kind of want to get into the mechanics of it a bit. So to start off with, we're going to touch upon press conferences and how it all works. So as someone who's been to Hotspur Way, but only to watch a match, I can kind of describe the, the, the layout as you turn up. It's basically very green. There's very nice, freshly mown lawns everywhere and, and nicely planted beds and things and lots of Spurs branding and logos. And there's this kind of windy path up towards the the, the centre, uh, the Hotspur Way centre. And you go in and there's this kind of almost like a hotel reception, quite a fancy reception area with big screens on the on the walls and this kind of seat for you to take a seat there. And there's a coffee machine and stuff. And it's all very normal. What, what happens after that? Where do you go for the press conferences? So next door, next to that room is a small auditorium where they hold the press conferences. Uh, so these are press conferences which are more or less before every match, um, usually at lunchtime. And the way it works basically is Pochettino comes in with usually Simon Felstein, the club head of communications, head of yeah. press, and Jesus Perez. And then the whole thing will last for more roughly half an hour. Yeah, so half an hour yeah. to 40 minutes, yeah. So the, basically it works in two sections. The first section which lasts about 15 minutes, is the stuff which is broadcast more or less live. So that will start off usually with questions from Sky Sports, uh, sometimes from BT Sport, uh, radio, um, web press association. Yeah, I mean, anyone can chip in, but generally it's led by Sky Sports. BT, maybe BBC, will, will follow them, talk sport occasionally. And then, yeah, often the press yeah. association will, will ask questions at the end. And that's the stuff that you that's the stuff that is broadcast on Sky Sports News immediately afterwards and gets tweeted straight after. So when mm. you see when you see quotes on Twitter coming about like sort of one or two o'clock on an afternoon, so you'll see it. To, I mean, I don't know when this is going out, but there's one tomorrow afternoon. Um, that's all from the first section of the press conference. And then once that's done, they break all the cameras and recording equipment get turned off, and. I'd say about 10 or so people from newspapers and some websites go up to the front and have a more kind of informal discussion with Pochettino. Um, and all that stuff will be published usually at 10.30 that evening. Um, and then, of course, be in the next day's newspapers. So the, the embargoing stuff until 10.30 is basically a... To do it's it's so that the newspapers have their own content, okay. so that they have their so that they have stuff which uh, isn't immediately published, isn't immediately online, um, basically to to kind of protect their their uniqueness or to protect their own hold on the uh, occasion. And generally speaking, it's more interesting that stuff because um, it's you, it's more of a kind of back and forth discussion with Pochettino. Uh, I think, I think, frankly, I think that the the standard of questions is better. Yeah, and um, I think it's fair to say that when the cameras are off, Pochettino is a lot more comfortable. He's more relaxed. He's more funny, relaxed. He'll, he'll tell anecdotes. He'll, he'll be much more willing to turn to Perez and say, "This is what I'm trying to say. How, you know, can you translate it for me?" 
he'll be much more willing to take his time over a question whereas when he's got the camera on him the Sky Sports camera he knows that they're going to be clipping that up immediately and going out so yeah occasionally I feel like he might not understand the question and he'll just go for it give a generic answer whereas in the press briefing or daily's briefing as it's called I think he will be much more prepared to, to sort of listen to the question give a thoughtful response Sorry, would you guys ever ask a question in that first part or even if it's pertinent to what's being talked about or would you always hold back and wait for your part no we'd all I'd always hold back and wait for my section because you know if I ask if I asked him a question that first bit then whatever he said would just like everybody would know it instantly mm-hmm. yeah so it's better if you can kind of, so and also like you're not meant to ask questions in both sections like you're, you're either meant to be part of the first section or the second section rather than both. Yeah, I think being part of ESPN, it, that can be, you, you can straddle both. So sometimes yeah. I would ask a question in the first section, but most of the time I'll stay quiet because I, I know that there's better stuff in the, in the second briefing and I might mm-hmm. have a, a question ready. But then I also think generally the second briefing it is for the daily, daily newspapers. So you want to, I tend, tend to leave them t- to start it and then I might chip in toward the end if, if I think there's a lull and, and there's an opportunity to ask something. So um, will, will Sky and BT stay for your section or because they can't use it anyways in bargain? No, they, they, they don't stay. Um, and the other thing I'd say about the split is I think the broadcast section, the, the live section is generally for news. So you might ask him about kind of team news, mm-hmm. uh, Spurs form, um, you know, his opinion on VAR, something like that, like for a newsy line. Yeah. Uh, whereas the later section you, you want to be putting the kind of flesh on the bones as it were so if he said something of interest then you then it's a chance to go deeper and say well you know you, you, you hinted at this in VAR or you mentioned your relationship with Mourinho you know can you expand on that now um, so I think they do work well in tandem together but equally they're they're very separate briefings mm-hmm. You mentioned that he's kind of a bit less guarded in that second section when the cameras are off and he knows it's not going to just be put straight onto Sky Sports Sky Sports News. Does he let his guard down fully or is there are there times when someone has to step in and say that's that's crossing the line we don't want you to ask these kind of yeah, things. Yeah, so that's a good like there are I'm trying to think of a good example. Um I've got I've got one example if I can interrupt. Yeah. I mean I remember there was one time where Poch was asked about Donald Trump. And Simon Felstein just very politely said, a reminder, this is a, a football press conference. So it's not a free-for-all to ask Poch whatever you want. Uh, it's about football. It's a preview of the, the next match. Um, and he, he did, I think, talk about the Catalonian referendum. Um, but then that's relevant to him because he's lived in Barcelona. He's got a home there. He's managed Espanyol. But you can't go in with something wildly off-topic and expect that he has to answer it because he doesn't. So he, it will be he talks terms. about football. Yeah, it's on his terms. Interesting. And and do you kind of are most of the questions asked in that section fairly kind of generic mainstream questions, or do people ask about the quirks of the club and the, the smaller things that people wouldn't necessarily think are big big headlines? I think generally, generally they're not that quirky. Like the questions we. Like usually we'll have a bit of a chat beforehand saying, you know, what should we ask him about today? Should we ask him about a particular player or a particular issue or a match or an anecdote? That kind of thing. So, because obviously if you've got, you know, I guess generally there'll be 10 journalists there. It lasts about 10 minutes. 
it's much better to have a, quite a few questions along this along narrow lines than to have one per, than to have ten different people with ten different ideas asking one question each because that way you can never really get into a rhythm. So uh, it's it's like it's one of those tensions where on the one hand we've all people have gone there with different ideas but ideally we'll all end up with fairly similar with similar pieces that we write because otherwise you'll be you'll like I think like anyone really Pochettino is much better at getting into a groove where he's talking about one topic rather than doing like one minute on Dembele and one minute on transfers and one minute on youth players that kind of thing so I imagine you guys must all get to know each other quite well because you're turning up at these things constantly so is there kind of like a group there's a group of you that are in quite regular contact about press conferences and, and trying to arrange like you say these kind of almost um successional questions where you're you're following up on one another's points um or, or do you have like splinter groups where there's different groups of journalists no well, it's, it's like i mean the people that go to pochettino will use press conference will usually be drawn from a pool of about 15 to 20 people yeah. um so you all you gen- you generally know everyone who's there there's no kind of form. There's no formal organisation. It might just be a, a very informal chat beforehand. You know what we're going to get him on today. But it is a very collective effort, I think. Um, but obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a beat reporter and that I only cover Spurs. Uh, you know, m- maybe the Times will, will send someone that will, co- will cover several clubs. Um, and being a national newspaper, they would want to get Pochettino on something a lot more that's going to get in a national newspaper essentially yeah. so maybe his view on VAR maybe Harry Kane's future maybe his future whereas as a beat reporter I I would tend to think you know what are, what are the fans interested to know you know maybe in Kudu or something which let's face it isn't going to get you know be a back page spread on, on, yeah. on a national so you, you always have different agendas but on the whole it's a, it's a funny old profession because essentially the people you're kind of competing against for kind of views and, and mm-hmm. stories and, and all this kind of thing and, and access are also your they're kind of your rivals but also your colleagues because yeah. it is such a collective effort and you always get better stuff when you, when you work together when you've got a plan and you've got a theme in mind if you go in there which does happen sometimes if you just don't have a chance to, to prep if you go in there and, and, and kind of you know throw in lots of different questions from different angles is generally when you end up with quite a bitty transcript and, and something you can't really work with. I think Dan, Dan's right that there is a really interesting kind of tension there between the extent to which you're both colleagues and rivals with the same people. Like I see you know, I see Dan more often. Like My, my closest colleagues will be people like Dan, Dave Heitner at The Guardian, like Jeremy Wilson and Matt Law at The Telegraph because they're the people that I see almost every day whereas other people who work for the independent I kind of I might speak I speak to them every day but I don't see them as much and so there is very much a kind of like collegial feel I think between all the journalists who come in the same clubs that's really interesting and, and the stuff about the embargoes is fascinating as well I kind of I always assumed that that was the reason for the embargo it was kind of almost protecting the craft of, of print journalism and I do wonder whether at some point that will change because it, it just also means that I mean, the, the the standard and quality of journalism would drop without embargoes mm. because if it was just oh we've spoken to Harry Kane who can write that fastest and yeah. get it out then people will go for speed over quality yeah. and actually having a set you know okay we spoke to Kane that's for tomorrow night you know you've got a day to write it and you know you've got a day to make calls speak to people you know put together a really good piece of journalism 
um, with those quotes as a framework or, or working around those quotes. Um, I think I think in Spain, I'm right in saying they don't really have embargoes. Yeah, I think embargoes are quite are quite an English thing. I think my my very personal opinion is that I don't think the 10:30 embargo will last forever, just because not like normal people aren't looking for Spurs news online at 10:30 in the evening, uh, and. That's true. I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> not just Spurs, that, grinning. Yeah. That's are. true of other things as well. But um, you know, like web traffic, like everyone knows that web traffic correlates with office hours, and that generally speaking, that's when you're best off pu- publishing stuff. But I do think that having a separate, having a separate section which is only which isn't recorded by the cameras, which is only for uh, journalists from newspapers and respected websites and which isn't published immediately is incredibly helpful and important and does, like Dan says, produces a much higher quality of content than the kind of like the, the, than the, the first section of the press conference. And it would be, I think we would really lose out if we didn't have that, that separate section. When you, um, I'm quite interested in like when you go into the auditorium, can you ever, there's a big story brewing, can you ever sense that there's something about to kick off? Like if there's a big topic on the horizon? I mean, I remember the, when Danny Rose did the interview with The Sun on the eve of the season, mm-hmm. uh, Spurs were very clear with us when, when we were asking for a response that Pochettino would, would address it at the next press conference. And so I remember everyone was tremendously excited and there were loads of people tweeting me being like, where can I get a live stream of this press conference? Yeah. And I was like, it's not live, you're going to have to just wait. Um, so that was the only, the only time I've ever gone in, gone in there with a real sense of ex expectation because you, you just didn't know how Pochettino was going to react to that and he he might have you know, really condemned Rose and, and he, I thought he handled it really, really well in the end he just very much played it down and said yeah, we've moved on and so in the end it was a, a bit of a dud mm-hmm. but not but I think not really um, the, the most explosive sort of press conference was, was when Prodigan Poch announced his new contract and that was completely out of the blue and I don't think anyone had that story uh, yeah. he just said, oh, I've got something to say, you know, I've, I've signed a new contract. It was toward the end of the first title challenging season. 15, 16, right? 16, yes. 16. That yeah. would have been when he moved from head coach to manager. Yeah, when he, his job had to change. And yeah, I, I, I can't say that there was a kind of atmosphere when he came in or anything. It was yeah. just, you know, business as usual. And then suddenly, oh, this is a, a big story. I mean, on a professional level, I know you're a Spurs fan, but do you ever wish that Tottenham had like, like a Nigel Pearson in charge that you could go in and your your interview or your conference could get serious national headlines and there'd be a lot well, of Well, I mean, Pochettino does make national headlines because he is the manager of Tottenham and, he, and he's such a he's, a... he's a great football manager. But speaking to some of the guys, uh, like Ben Pearce, who's done the beat job for a long time, I think nearly a decade, mm-hmm. um, that's what it was like under Sherwood. If you, if you speak to Ben, he'll say, you know, every week... You went in, and Jack, you may have done some shows. I, yeah. I didn't. I mean, he said every week, you know, you went in, you knew it was going to be something explosive, and just some. You you you'll be struggling to to pick out the best bit at the end. Yeah, completely. He would always, you know, he'd shoot from the hip and and tell it like it is and all that stuff. But obviously, the I mean, I don't want to get into a long discussion about the merits of tactics, Tim, but. He would always <laughs> like when you do that every week, it loses its effect because mm. you just. Uh, and I think after at first, people were like, oh wow, it's amazing. He's so he's so quotable, but eventually, like it's just kind of when there's a soundbite, when there's so many soundbites every time, it does lose a bit of its effect. Whereas now, if Poch, 
Like if Pochettino hammers someone, like for example Guardiola over the Harry Kane team comments, that was like a massive deal because it was, you know, one of the one of the biggest managers in the country taking on the most famous manager in the world. Um, so I think Pochettino like picks his moments be- much better than Sherwood, but because of that, his words carry, and because of his superior record as a manager, his words carry much more weight. Interesting. I think we've, we've sort of covered this to a degree, but we had a question from um, Jackie Lenkilis on Facebook who said, are there any topics that the press know are untouchable and would put your spot in the room at jeopardy if brought up? Have you ever seen anyone ejected for asking a particular question or escorted from the premises? No. 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 I mean, I just, go, just go back to what I said. That it's, not, it's not a free-for-all to ask Pochettino anything about his marriage or, or whatever, you know, or Donald Trump. It's, it is a... It is a football press conference. I think um, if somebody asks, if somebody asks something really obviously inappropriate, they would get told they weren't welcome back. Mm-hmm. But I, I honestly don't think I've ever heard of that happening. Like it, it might, have, I mean, it might happen without my knowing, but uh, I don't think that's ever happened. Uh, I think generally speaking, people know what is and isn't okay. Sometimes, mm. sometimes you might ask something and they'll say we're not going to comment on that, but. I've never heard of anyone asking something which has got them banned. Who, um, we, didn't we have a newspaper banned from attending Spurs matches for a while under Sugar? Was it even standard that wasn't that allowed? That rings a bell. I, lo- I remember Alex Ferguson um, banned lots of papers from, from Man U over the years, but I think you're right. I think it may have been the evening standard. I think it was something to do with uh, the Sugar. No, that's reason. news to me. I mean, Newcastle have done it fairly recently with the local papers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, under Ashley. It's not unheard of. I think Spurs are... Are actually, I mean, this whole discussion, um, and it should say, as a, as a wider, in terms of the wider discussion, I didn't really have any basis for comparison because I've only do Tottenham and beat reporter, but I do think Spurs are very inclusive. Like, I, know, I think it's fair to say, Jack, that some clubs are a lot more restrictive about who can go in the daily section, yeah. the, the, the separate briefing, whereas Tottenham are very much. Yeah, they're, they're very very inclusive as a club and they're, they're very good about um, getting people involved, getting you access to manager and players. Yeah, another thing I'd like to say on that actually uh, is that Tottenham are, Tottenham are really good in terms of the amount of time that the, that the second part of the press conference with Pochettino lasts for. That is, um, at Arsenal, the, the equivalent sort of daily section will usually last for kind of six or seven minutes. Uh, whereas at Tottenham we usually get ten to twelve minutes, yeah, uh, which means and it's just which is much better as well. Uh, and also like the fact that you know it's going to last for ten or twelve minutes means that it has a more relaxed atmosphere from the start. Whereas at Arsenal sometimes everyone's a bit like in a rush to get their questions in. That was what the kind of next thing I was going to ask you about. Do you, are you ever kind of fighting with people to ask your question? I mean, when I've seen press conferences on TV, it's it's never felt that way. There's you always hear kind of a voice pipe up from the back of the room. Is it? Is there like a pecking order as such where you know who's going to ask what in what order? I'd say, go back to what I said earlier, in the broadcast section, if you put your hand up and make it clear to the press officer that you want to ask a question, you'll normally be able to get it in. So he invites you to speak? Yeah, you know, you'll, you'll just catch his eye and, mm. and, and say, yeah, I've got one, and he'll say, okay, you next, you next. You know, He'll mouth it and make it clear that right. you've got your question um, at some point. In the in the separate briefing, as I said earlier, I think I think it, it, it is you know kind of traditionally and, and, and really for the daily newspapers. So I think it's best to let those guys lead. But then sometimes as it's a team effort, so sometimes 
you'll you'll have an idea that's in line with their theme and so yeah you'll you'll, you'll kind of interrupt or, or, or go for it um was yeah i don't bracketing at first when you when you first started going to these i think the th- yeah i think yeah I, I don't mind saying that i think the first time i asked Pochettino a question i my heart was racing and, and I was uh, quite nervous about yeah. it, about it sounding like a tit. Yeah. And then once you've done it kind of once or twice, it's, just yeah, yeah you, you, you just get used to it and um, yeah, it just becomes a norm and obviously part of your job. You know, because could you ask um, Mauricio Pochettino a question from me and Wendy about his son <laughs> and whether it's not that his son is ever going to make it at Tottenham? <laughs> See, that, that's probably the kind of question that's sort of slightly border on yeah. randomly inappropriate. But he's a footballer. He's playing football for How Tottenham. do you phrase that question? Is your son any good? <laughs> not really. What do you think about nepotism? <laughs> <laughs> honest, it's not actually the worst, it's not the worst question in the world. No, it's he's, never, he's never talked about it. But I mean, um, yeah, again, I'll, I'll go back to what I said earlier, which is that you do have to think of the collective sometimes as well. And... If, if you're going in with very obscure, you know, if I really wanted to get, um, you know, five minutes of potch on kind of Luke Amos, which, Wendy, I'm sure you would marinate in, um, you know, it, I would be really screwing over uh, the, the, the national journalists who, frankly, couldn't give a stuff about Luke Amos. So you, you do have to think, you do have to factor that in, I think. <laughs> Do you need a minute? You're right. I need a minute. Yeah, I mean that would be crack to me. But look, there aren't many people that would enjoy that line of questioning. So, so I'm sort of moving on to more broadly, your relationship in general with the club. Presumably, so when you first start working with Spurs, you're assigned that club as as part of your job. You make contact with them. You kind of ask for access, and then what happens? You get given the number of the the head of the press press team, and then you uh. kind of have a chat and try and forge a relationship? Yeah, so the, I mean, the Tottenham press team, so Tottenham have, I don't know, sort of maybe three people, I think, who in, engage with journalists sort of day to day. They're all very good. Uh, their, their job basically is not their only job, but one of their main jobs is answering questions. So they, you know, it's fairly easy to get hold of them by email or, or on the phone. Uh, if both for like, what you might call organisational questions like when's the press conference or the game or how do I get accreditation that kind of thing and then also information like you will have a lot you know if you've got a story about Tottenham that you need them to comment on or that you need to run by them or if you've got a question like an injury update or what's happening with the stadium or that kind of thing uh, you know you'll go to them and then they'll give you an answer Um, so yeah and they're very so they have a few different jobs to do when, in terms of their relationships with journalists, but they're I've, I find them very professional and good to deal with. Yeah, likewise. We had a question from uh, Lee Batiuk on Facebook who said, um, "Is everything planned perfectly in terms of statements around injuries, transfer policy, stadium, etc., or are they sometimes economical with the truth?" Do you get? A particular I think it's a bit of that? a there's a bit of a fan's misconception that like the clubs the clubs give out information in order to like for example the clubs give out information on transfer targets uh, as part of some big kind of formal organised strategy to make themselves look good or to sell tickets people always say oh look there's a story about Tottenham trying to sign whoever because it's season ticket renewal day that kind of thing it's bollocks like, that isn't how it works at all um, 
that isn't to say that, like there is obviously strategy there in the term like they are thinking about what they want to say and when and on things like the stadium they'll have a clear idea about what information they're going to give out under what circumstances um but yeah there's not there's i wouldn't say that with things like transfers there's any kind of great string pulling operation yeah i'd agree with that i think one of the biggest misconceptions about journalism is that you get fed a steady stream of information by the club which just isn't how it works like i think if you go to the club with information that you have from another source and say, look, I've been told um, whatever, so-and-so is being sold or so-and-so is not going to play again, you know, this is what I'm going to write, so I've been told this, then they will say, well, okay, look, um, can you just play down... Uh, One element. Yeah, well, this element or, or, or just for your information, yes, that's true, I don't mind saying that, but this is why it's happened. If you if you approach them with info, then they will brief you. They're not, you know, calling me up and saying, "Oh, Dan, just FYI, you know, uh, Danny Rose isn't going to play again this season, and we're going to sign uh, Neymar." For well, you know, it, it doesn't work like that. So we we don't get kind of drip fed information. Occasionally, of course, you occasionally you do get a an email or or, or a text message saying, you know, just for the record, I've seen a lot of these type of stories and you know that's wider the mark but it's I said that's actually pretty rare um, and again I'm just dealing with Tottenham but it's it's pretty yeah, infrequent so most of the time it's it's journalists coming to them with information and then the club responding rather than the club kind of being on the front foot and saying we're going to give you this information or we're going to tell you this thing or that thing when um, when Sky uses the term Sky Sports understands or there's a source close Sky to the club, sources. who yeah who are who are these sources and who is that person close to the club? Is that just license for somebody who's writing an article to be able to kind of guess, or is there actually someone that you have to have proof that if they're called up on it, they have to show who it is? Yeah, I don't think they'd be guessing. I think that particularly with the, I mean, particularly with broadcasters. The, like if they will be speaking to the club press team fairly often and they will be getting getting the club line on a particular issue uh, and so if they say and it's not just I mean there's like a particular criticism that people make of Sky about them ripping off newspapers but putting that to one side I think if you say whether it's Sky or BBC or whoever mm-hmm. saying a source close to the club says X it is going to be a, a source close to the club they wouldn't Mm. Make, they wouldn't make that up or false. I mean, that. we have to do that on ESPN, which you know, I don't mind saying it can, it can be quite frustrating. But if we're doing a story that isn't in the public domain mm-hmm. or that we've found, we have to say either sources plural, or if it's a singular source, we have to give a bit of information on the source. So a source close to the player, or source close to the situation, or close to the club. Um, ju- just because ESPN's a big kind of global news organisation and, and they want accountability yeah. uh, so you do have to specify that um, and you know on, on the rare occasions that I do it it's not kind of you know made up from Twitter or an internet forum it has to be mm-hmm. kind of legit because if the bosses in the US came to me and said okay you know <laughs> is this a, you know, they wouldn't say what's your source but you know where's this from is it from I have to say, yeah, it's from someone who knows the player or is, is aware of what's going on. Um, I've also got a question for Jack because I saw you tweet something when, when Arsenal lost to Bournemouth 
and you went hard on Arsenal. You properly called them out, and it was just like I was quite surprised to see someone give that that kind of opinion. And were you angry? What, what like what kind of license do you have to put your personal opinion when you're just reporting? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I wasn't. Uh, I think you have quite a lot of license. I think nowadays, I think particularly with a match report, like people don't read match reports now to find out the details of the game. Like even the top, like I mean, for example, Tottenham Newport on Saturday, which Dan and I were both at. Nobody would click on our reports, being like, "Oh, I wonder what happened." Oh, wow, Harry Kane scored with eight minutes left. Just because you kind of know that, like it's yeah. you would have seen it on Twitter or comes up on your phone. Yeah, like however you get your news, you will know that Harry Kane scored a tap in at the far post. Uh, from a corner and you'll probably know that like Spurs were rubbish in the first half as well so I think a match report has to convey something of like I think the reporter has to get across his opinion I think you have to convey what it was like being there what you felt watching the match any like analytical insights you might have or any other bits of information you can work in like it's got to be a more like considered well-written piece than just like and then after 55 minutes, Human Son came on and his first touch was to set up Deli Alley, that kind of thing. Because ultimately no, one, no one's going to click on a match report for that kind of detail. Yeah, I did at NCTJ now, it must have been about eight, nine years ago. And when I was doing the sports reporting thing, we had to write match reports and it was pretty much a blow-by-blow blow piece. And then you had to quickly kind of sum it up at the end. But yeah, I guess you're right that how people digest football now has completely changed. Yeah, completely. Like, I think that's just a function of time and technology ultimately. Mm. Going back briefly to your to your kind of tirade against Arsenal, Jack, was there a kind of risk when you were doing that of creating a tension between you and the club in terms of a longer-term relationship there? Or have you ever felt, like Dan was saying, he contacts the club saying, I'm going to write this story. Have you ever felt kind of that you've really pissed them off, that they're, you know, it might be because it's true and they don't want anyone to know that it's true, or they feel like you've gone completely off piece and and they just want to shut it down and they're not happy with you. Yeah, I mean, there's always... You can't keep everyone happy in this job and often stuff... You will upset clubs with what you write. Either... I'd say it's generally either if you've got something wrong, which makes them look bad, or if you've got something right, which they don't want to be public. I'd be very very surprised if a club got upset about a match report like just saying Arsenal were shit because like it's kind of I mean it's obvious if you watch it um, but so like generally with that kind of match report like I wouldn't expect I mean I didn't hear anything back from Arsenal I wouldn't have, I didn't expect to but the, the times where you do hear something back from a club whether it's an ang- a bollocking on the phone or a text or an email is because they think that you've either like got something wrong or you've sort of overstepped the mark yeah, I think that's true. Um, I think also clubs are well aware that you've got a job to do. You know that they've got a job to do. And you're both aware of each other's positions, really. And I don't think clubs ever want to tell you how to do your job. And equally, you never want to be speaking to a press officer and saying, well, this is what you should be doing. And often, on the rare occasions that there has been some some conflict either way I think it's usually forgotten kind of the next day or the next press conference it's these things have quite a limited kind of the annoyance has quite a short shelf life I would say yeah football moves so quickly like people everything everything gets forgotten very 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 soon Mm. because there'll be a new story the next day and 
So you don't think there's a dossier, uh, a Dan Kilpatrick dossier in, uh, in a box file somewhere <laughs> where they just... I mean, I, every, I really hope so. They, they printed <laughs> off every, <laughs> every story. I'd love, I'd love to think that Levy's got a kind of uh, specific file on his computer about me, but I think it's highly unlikely. He's got some dodgy photos. <laughs> <laughs> just, just in case you have needs to use them. He says you follow Dan. We know this. I mean, it is interesting, though, isn't it? The, the, I, I do like the... Um, that that idea of this tension between club and, and and journalist, where sometimes you might know that they're lying to you, and it's just a case of saying the right mm, thing. To, I, I, or, or do you think they stop. just don't? You think they generally play the straight back? I don't. I honestly don't think clubs clubs re- lie to you. Really, I think they they'll they'll be they can be selective of what they tell you, but I think it's quite rare that or they or they simply won't know the person you'll be speaking to. You, you know, isn't the person deciding the transfer target? That's Ultimately, a strategy. You know, you, I, you, we haven't got a direct line to uh, Levy or Pochettino himself, or at least I don't. Um, that so, must be quite deliberate on their part that they're feeding the press, head of press, only the information that he needs to know at that time, so he can't lie to you. Ultimately, I think, I think like people in that job, and this isn't unique to Spurs or even to football communications, like you do benefit from a degree of plausible deniability. Yeah. Like it's not, like they don't, you know, no one in that kind of job would know everything. It's not really in their interest to know everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So to go, sort of going back to the transfer window and, and such like, how, how does, this time of year must be absolutely chaotic for you guys. How does story about a big transfer will come together so for example and I don't I'm not try, I'm genuinely not trying to call you out Dan but obviously you you've said yourself on the fighting clock that you, yeah you, you sent this tweet about um, Lucas Moura saying that it's not happening you've obviously been told it's not happening or at that yeah, point yeah, there wasn't yeah. anything in it and then it does seem to be happening potentially and you've, you've now come out and said yeah but there's definitely something in that um, but how does this whole story come together and what were the kind of what was the journey there um, it, you know, I, I say. yeah, I think Jack should probably answer this because he's. I know, for instance, with, with Carl Walker, he was he was the journalist in the country that was very much on top of that story and got everything right. Um, and I've not really ever done that in in, in my right. career. Like, has something from start to finish. Um, yeah, and on on the Mora thing, and I I just said it to to Flav on on the fighting cock about an hour ago. Like, obviously, w- one of the things as a journalist is. If you say something's likely to happen, like um, you know Spurs are in talks to sign X, Y, or Z, and it doesn't happen, it, it doesn't look particularly bad. If you say something's not going to happen, it does happen. You look like a massive tit, <laughs> which has obviously happened. Um, People don't forget. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, you'll you'll hear stuff. You you do hear a lot of whispers from from agents and 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 whatnot, and you have to make a call on whether that's something you can write or whether they might have an agenda or whether it's even true or not because I'm, I mean, while I don't think the club lies to you I'm, I think it's fair to say that maybe people close to the players might do um, yeah and you, and you just have to make a call and, and, and I mean journalists do get things wrong and things do move quickly so and, that, and that's part of the job in a way and, and I think yeah, you yeah it getting, does happen. You yeah. Do, yeah, you. I mean, ultimately, you do get things wrong. Like, I, I did a story maybe last week saying Arsenal set to beat Tottenham to signing of Malcolm. And obviously, since then, Arsenal pulled out, Tottenham went back in. That's probably not going to happen either. 
Uh, so I managed to get it wrong twice, basically. But, um, but at that time, that was... Yeah, at the time, I think it was... I think what I published was probably fair enough based on the information I had. I think the information was... The information was good, but the situation changed. And that is that is ultimately... That is just going to happen if you kind of... If you take a risk and stick your neck out, you are going to get it wrong. And we all, we all get it wrong. I feel like that's sort of the the main reason for the mistrust between specifically football journalists and the general public is that there is an appreciation that situations change and that, that there's this idea of if, if you've said something and it hasn't come through once, well, that's it, then everything you've ever said is, is nonsense. And I think that that is where that sort of borderline toxic relationship mm. comes from. So I would ask Jack about the Carl Walker transfer then. So Dan mentioned that you were on it from the start. What does What does that mean? So I did a story, it was after... Trying to remember which, it was, it was on a Monday, the day after. Was it? It's after a game at White Hart Lane where he was surprisingly benched. Is that right? Arsenal or Manchester United? Maybe. It's yeah. One before that. It's one of those games. I think it might be the first of April. Okay. Uh, but yeah, basically a big, big White Hart Lane game on Sunday. He was, he was surprisingly dropped for Trippier. Uh, I'd been speaking to a few people close to the situation. Uh, who knew Kyle and I got the impression that he wasn't happy and then I had another phone conversation after the day after the game which made me think that yeah he does definitely want to go I think I published a story saying Walker wants to go he's asked Pochettino if he can leave at the end of the season likeliest to go to City or United I think was how the story came out and that was one where obviously what you know the events that followed kind of confirmed my story but equally sometimes you know it's conceivable that events could have gone differently he could have uh, you know found an agreement with Pochettino mm -hmm. and then I would have got lots of Spurs fans on Twitter calling me a nonce uh, <laughs> which I get anyway uh, so yeah like I mean you are always at the mercy of events basically and uh, you know like with Mal I mean Malcolm is a good example of the opposite thing like sometimes sometimes what you write will be proven right and sometimes what you what you write will be proven wrong and it's just it's just the way it goes so in your career, when you're kind of building up this list of contacts who feed you their bits of information, how does that come about? Do they normally approach you or do you have to try and create scenarios where you're forging a relationship with someone to, to connect the dots and get that information? So Dan, um, for example, when, when yeah, you, I mean, you, obviously you're a, fair, you're a substantial face, as it were, on Twitter now in the Spurs community. People know you, they know you write very sensibly, um, level-headed... Um, articles about Spurs. Do, do, people, you, do you get people DMing you stuff? No, honestly, no. no. I don't have open DMs, but no one's. I can honestly say that I don't think anyone's ever approached me and said, you know, I'm an agent, I'm a former player, you know, it'd be good to chat to you. But then, I, yeah, I think no, very, very few people are going to pick up the phone to you when they don't know you and just start telling you sensitive inside kind of transfer news. I think it does have to be. It does have to be a relationship that you, you build up over time. So, you know, for instance, you, you might you might be doing a feature on on I don't know. Let, let's say you're doing a feature on Tottenham's young players, and then you you call up a you know someone who knows one of the young players and says, you know, uh, how's so and so doing? You know, oh, that's really encouraging. You know, what what do you think of their future? How have they been managed? And then from there, you know, that that's a start. You write positively in, in the piece about the player based on the information you have, and then that's the start of a, of a kind of relationship with that person. And then a few years down the line, the, the players in the first team, and, and 
you've got a contact there, you know, someone who's close to them and who trusts you and, and who knows you're not trying to kind of mug them off. Um, it's not like I can just pick up the phone and say, oh, you know, Harry Kane's agent, please. Uh, what's, you know, how much is being paid? What's the latest? You know, it, does, it doesn't work like that, I think. Um, it has to be more of a kind of considered relationship over time. Yeah, that makes that suddenly makes a lot more sense because I was, I was always struggling to kind of think how you, how you bump into these people. I mean, I, I know from going to Hotspur Way to watch under eighteen matches that you will get lots of agents hanging around. There's there are people mm. on the phone who are clearly talking about their their players, their clients, and they're trying to build relationships with people around the outskirts of the match. So it's quite obvious there's there is stuff going on there. But aside from that, I've always wondered how you kind of create those links. But of course, it makes sense that when you're going to, I don't know, a shoot for Nike or something and the player's there and you're getting 10 minutes with him, that of course his agent or his people will be there with him. So you get an opportunity to meet them. That suddenly kind of falls into place. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So sort of going back to um, the craft and your training as such, where did it start for you guys in terms of your roots into journalism? So, uh, go on, Jack. I, um, I started by writing a blog about the team I support, which is not in fact Tottenham, but Manchester City, uh, which I wrote when I was at university, so like 2007, 2008, 2009. So you're a blog nonce as well. I am, a, blo- I am a, a blog nonce. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately for me, that got read by um, a man called Simon Kellner, who was a big Man City fan and was then the editor of The Independent. Uh, and he, he, we got in touch, and then I came in and did some work experience. And then I got a job uh, at The Independent off the back of that, starting in 2010, so about seven a bit years ago. Um, which is really fortunate because you know I was lucky that my stuff got read by someone who liked it and was in a position to help me out. Uh, but unfortunately it's not a kind of it's not really a path which other people can put much faith in just because it kind of relied on a massive slice of fortune well weirdly enough I was also had a blog and I think Jack's the only other person I know that got in that way My, uh, uh, Michael Cox oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true um, yeah so I mean I, don't, I had a blog called The Tottenham Way that I mean, honestly, I don't think it was anything special. It was like quite newsy. I used to, I wanted to, to create a place that kind of aggregated all the news and quotes about Tottenham, and then also a place where I could do my own features. You know, whenever I was frustrated or I had an idea or something came into my head, and I did that. I, I was doing some teaching. I did that, and I also was like freelancing for for kind of BT Sport and and Goal, and I wasn't really thinking about. A serious career in football journalism it was just something that I quite enjoyed doing and I but was actually you think, were trained as a journalist weren't you? I did I did broadcast yeah. journalism I did a diploma but I was by this point by the time I got the ESPN job I was actually thinking more in terms of like the, the, the business side of it I quite liked mm-hmm. you know I don't know the marketing I was leaning toward that side but then this opportunity came up to, to write about Tottenham and obviously I had a Tottenham blog and 
and I think ESPN w- w- were aware of it and, and it just kind of fell into my lap but yeah apart from Jack and, and Michael Cox I, I don't know anyone else who, who went in that way so I'm, I don't I think it's, this is quite unusual that we both got yeah. in via a blog well if I'd known that I wouldn't have got you both on but <laughs> <laughs> a bit of variety would have been nice guys but seriously did, did you do the NCTJ Jack or is that no no I don't have any any journalism qualifications at all so I'm the most qualified journalist <laughs> at the table well Dan's done the NCTJ well I've got a diploma okay it. have you got a master's but no not in, okay. not in uh, no not in journalism <laughs> Okay. Then, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're equal. Yeah. Do we have an alarm set responsive for all? Or, or, no, but for, for people who are listening and um, they want to get into it, I, I do recommend doing NCTJ because you do, you learn about the craft, you find out things, you study, you get the public law and all that kind of stuff. So it is a, it's a way for people to get into it. And um, my tutor was, he, he was a proper old school journalist who used to work for the Mirror, slick back hair, kind of shiny silver suit. And terrible, terrible man. Like I think, <laughs> outside of work, but um, but he, you'd learn a lot from him. You know, I I'm going to disagree with you. I don't recommend doing it. Okay. Really? Yeah. I th- I th- I'm glad I did because I would probably wouldn't be where I am now without it, and I very much enjoy my work. But I think if you are wanting, really wanting to get into journalism, rather than paying to do a masters or a course or a degree or whatever you will learn more in the same space of time if you literally go and if you get any opportunity to you know go and make tea at the independent or you know run around the ESPN office and you know, listen work hard I, th- I, do, I do genuinely believe that and, and that wasn't the way I did it but then I came out of my diploma you know having a good idea of how to write a news story and you know, do broadcasting bits but but still not quite aware of how the industry itself worked the stuff we're, we've been talking about so I, I do think there, there, there are different ways of doing it but I, I personally recommend people just try and try and get in any way you can to a, to a proper news organisation and the other thing I would say I mean I, I'm not a journalist by any stretch but I do it strangely happen to work with a number of journalists in my day job and they have all said the best way to learn is just to write constantly so whenever you have a moment just write follow a news story and write a feature about it submit it to a local paper or blog or whatever um, and just and just hone your craft out over time and get feedback from people who know what they're talking about um, yeah but, for, completely and, and, and go places and, and do things you know go to don't necessarily go to a Premier League game but but go to a women's football match where there, there might not be many other reporters or go, go to a youth game you know as I, as I know you've done and, and write a report from it and you know there's so much football media now and there's so much interest in the professional game and, and clubs like Tottenham you know if you did go to a youth match and, and started you know, writing insightful reports on the under 18s you, I think you'd quickly find that there'd be websites that would, that would pay you a small fee for, for that information for that insight so you have to get out there I think absolutely so we've got a couple of other questions that firstly from Dan Rattigan on Twitter who said when it comes to transfers does anyone from the club talk to the press in a wink wink manner no need to name names or does intel come from other sources agents of the clubs is that different to or and he, he means is that different to other clubs so are Spurs different to other clubs in that club? we've kind of covered it but I am interested in this how clubs vary with um, this is is the way that Spurs handle the press 
identical to the way that other clubs handle the press. No, I think different different teams have different different operations. Like you can kind of it's kind of to do with resources. So big clubs like so I'd say that City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United all have really big press and media teams. Even amongst those, some might be more. I mean, I don't think I'm giving too much away here to say that like City have quite a sort of proactive press team who uh, are, they're really, I think they're very good at, at their jobs at kind of getting good stories about, about City out there. Whereas I think, say, like Arsenal and Manchester United uh, maybe have a slightly more relaxed attitude, like they're probably maybe a bit less busy uh, when it comes to like trying to set the agenda. Because maybe because they know that the club is so big that they don't have to be in journalists' ears that much. Uh, because they're you know they've got if you've got two billion th- fans on Facebook, you're um, you're maybe less dependent on what's in the newspapers. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think um, I mean I know that there there is one big club in the Premier League that will kind of text the the local journalist if they're announcing a big story like a contract or a transfer and just say this is embargoed and, and until this time, and to give them the head start. You know Spurs don't do that, so there there are. There are big differences, as Jack has alluded to, and, and kind of little differences with, with the way they'll deal with things. But I think, yeah, again, I, I don't think there's a lot of kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's They'll tell you what they can or, or what they want to tell you uh, in, in a fairly kind of straightforward way. And a question from Mark Ward on Facebook, who said, how much of an effect do you think the press actually has on a team's psychology? Which is an interesting one. Um, because sometimes an article written about a club can change the mood, or certainly from a fan perspective, it can change the mood. Do you feel that that can have an impact internally in the, within the club as well, or, or do you think that's far-fetched? It's um, a really good question. I think uh, I'd be surprised if the Spurs team, or if, I'd be surprised if lots of the Spurs team read a lot of what was written about them. Uh, I think maybe I think Pochettino will be aware of what's about Spurs in the papers, uh, and I think I think I mean I don't want to sound Brexit about this, but I think the English players will read more than the foreign mm-hmm. players, um, naturally. Uh, but yeah, I I think equally, particularly coming up to a big game or whatever, I think a lot of the Spurs, I think a lot of players, and this is you know general to players, will just kind of not read anything so they can focus on the game. But I'd, I'd be interested to, look, to learn more about that because I don't have a, a cast-iron answer. Yeah, I think... Um, I'm not... Yeah, again, I'm not sure. But I do think, obviously, the, the club will use the press to its advantage sometimes, and Pochettino will. I mean, I think um, the Harry Kane team kind of dig at Guardiola was, was a good example of that. I think you know it, it serves many purposes for Pochettino to get it out there. Like, I think... City will. He still felt at that point. I think that Spurs were in a battle with City, which now seems a bit mad, but they weren't that far ahead at that point. So I think he was just, you know, trying anything to kind of um, unsettle them and and get in Guardiola's head, trying mind games. I think he also felt that it was also a very good way of of getting his other players apart from Kane like massively onside you know but you can well imagine him saying in the dressing room you know I'm going to go out there and you know make it clear that you're just as important as Harry and you know that would the, the players love him and and you can see why when he does that kind of thing you know if I was Deli Ali and 
he'd done that, I'd, I'd be you know well chuffed. And I think um, I think he's aware of that. You know, it's not. And I've also seen it suggested this week that you know it was a, a kind of nod to Real Madrid as well. I don't know how true that is, but there, there are many different kind of reasons that he might have said that. And I think he was well aware that he was you know using us in, in that case to, to to get several messages across. I definitely feel that uh, Harry Kane can be quite susceptible to ongoing narratives. I definitely think the the second season thing plays on his mind at the start of his second season. I feel like the August thing plays on him as well. I think this August his finishing was quite... And that's a very um, non-analytical sort of view of things. But I I do get that sensation with him and his obsession with goal-scoring records that maybe that stuff plays on his mind. I think that's a very good point, yeah. I think Kane, more than anyone, knows what's being said about him and being ready. I agree. We've also been on the other side of this um, the press that when uh, after we beat Arsenal, AVB came out with the famous downward spiral. Arsenal in a downward spiral, and then that seemed to almost inspire Arsenal and put us in a downward spiral, which ended up with them finishing above us. But I got a question about um, audiences. So um, Jack mentioned about foreign players and stuff. Obviously, with Hyung Min Son, it's got massive following in South Korea. Do you find? Do you ever like? change the timings of your tweets or anything because like Spurs official would tweet it early in the morning like three o'clock in the morning to catch a different audience do you guys no do that, that? that never occurred to me to be honest it's never crossed my mind either no okay. it's an interesting point but no <laughs> start drafting yeah yeah, yeah, yeah no it might do time of tweets well one, one more question from me if you don't mind just what's what's the kind of um, most regular question you get from from fans do you get I presume you both get a lot of tweets from club fans asking you stuff what's the kind of is it just things about signings is it just when are we signing so and so is that the most obvious one yeah it's apart from the apart from the abuse it's just like um, do you genuinely get any, abuse <laughs> no, no not really <laughs> like there's a, there's always there's people that will just I find there's just so many moaners on like Twitter that just say negative about everything so you'll say like oh you know Pochettino said X, Y, or Z, and then they'll just whinge. They'll find Same a way. To, they'll find a way to whinge about it. Um, it's not. It's not personal abuse, which is very boring. I yeah. Think. You know, one one thing that you get a fair bit of from fans is whenever anyone reports that a rival team is interested in signing either Pochettino or a big Spurs player, you do get quite a lot of Spurs fans who are like, "Are oh, you trying to sell our players? You're trying to sell our players." Mm. Um, which is nonsense like I don't I basically don't I mean I, I I wouldn't want Spurs to sell Kane to Real Madrid I wouldn't want them to sell Ericsson to Barcelona and I wouldn't want Pochettino to leave like I'm really I really I feel privileged to cover these people but if it's like if it, if the story's there then you've got to write it and I don't think it don't that's the one that's I mean I completely you know I'm a fo- football fan myself I completely get how fans conduct themselves on social media and I'm kind of fine with most of it but that's something which slightly annoys me just because it, I think it's it represents a kind of misreading of what job we're trying to do mm. uh, and suggests that I want these things to happen which I don't and I'm I'm in a lucky position that I only cover Spurs and, and actually most people on social media know that uh, yeah I'm a Spurs fan and I'll you know I do I do my job in a professional way but I don't hate the club or anything like that but I do see a lot of kind of national newspaper journalists who are covering more than one club get accusations of bias a lot and you know so many of them now have you know bias against X club in their Twitter bio 
because they've just had so many pelters along those lines and it must be very tiring because I don't think I've ever met a, a, a journalist uh, in the UK media who's genuinely biased against a club. It, it just doesn't happen. Have you ever leapt up in the press box when Spurs have scored a goal? <laughs> uh, honestly, honestly, no. Um, Is that because you're very aware that you have to maintain a yeah, sense I mean, of decorum? Yeah, but I think once you get in the press box, I mean... Once you get in the press box, I think professionalism does take over and you've got a job to do. And I've, I've normally got a re, you know, report or analysis to write like on the whistle, so you're under a bit of pressure. And I think you do just slip into professional mode. Um, the, the only time I ever feel you know, really like a fan is like on the way to games. I remember kind of walking to the last game at White Hart Lane uh, against Man U, walking up the high street and it was such like a carnival atmosphere and I remember thinking, oh, this is great. But then you get into, the, got into the press room and like sat down and had my meal and it was like kind of back in, in journalist mode. So you kind of switch between the two. Did you feel emotional at White Hart Lane that day? Yeah, I did actually. But then again, I think a lot of non-Spurs fans who were reporting on it did as well because it was an emotional occasion. Um, and I remember... I remember actually going for a little walk around and I think it might have been with you Jack I think we went out yeah. in the press room and I had a walk around and everyone was cheering and I saw a guy in a Man U shirt and I remember turning to either Jack or Ben and saying like oh, why is there a guy in a Man U, and I, Man U shirt here and I completely forgotten that Spurs were playing Manchester United because <laughs> it just felt like there wasn't a game it was just a kind of farewell ceremony to White Lane and I was suddenly like oh Christ there's, a, there's actually a match to play here <laughs> and there's opposition fans if Spurs go in the Champions League final, um, would you take the day off work and say you want to follow it as a fan, or would you work it? Because as you said, as you work, when you work, you lose the kind of emotion. Yeah, of the that's game. a good question. I think I kind of think I want to work it as well because, as as much as it would be good to be there as a fan, I think it is now my job, and it does change you slightly. And I think I would probably be in the away end thinking, oh, I wish I could go down to the mix zone afterwards and, and speak yeah. to Kane when he scored the goal and mm -hmm. and it would, you know, see what was going on down there. And I, I'd, I'd kind of want to be, I think I'd want to be working, actually. I think once it's been your job, it's very difficult to go back to, like, fully thinking about things as a fan. Mm. Like, I, I, uh, I go and see City as a fan, like, hardly at all now, like, once or twice a season. But when I do go... You know, you kind of you, you know you enjoy the day out and going for beer with your mates beforehand and all that. But when you're in the away end, there's always like a big part of your brain which is thinking, "All oh, right, if I was if I was in the press box now, I'd have probably written this and I'd be thinking that, and I'd ask Pep this afterwards, and I think this is the angle for the my match report, and this is the angle for my follow up piece the next day." And it's very difficult to like fully roll back into a kind of into fan mode, mm. and so. Like to take Bardi's question with City in the Champions League final, I would much rather be. I, I think I probably. I think I could probably now say I'd rather be there as a journalist as a fan. And also because like once it's, once you try and build a kind of career doing this, you want to have. You want to be able to write about the big occasions. You want to have that on your CV. Like I've covered a Champions League final, um, rather than you know I kind of went to a Champions League final but I didn't write anything about it because mm. I was in the stands. <laughs> Okay, because you when you started writing your blog about City, your your team's changed completely from when you first started following it. How do you how do you feel? Because now you've got arguably one of the greatest Premier League teams that there's been, but it wasn't always hasn't always been that case. How do you feel about where City are today? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I kind of maybe this is a good thing about 
having a bit of distance from it because of my job. Like, I don't massively care if they win or lose. And obviously, it's, that's a really easy thing to say when they win every game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, my mood isn't ruined if they lose. Like, you know, when you're a proper fan, like I was sort of 10 years ago, I would be, my my weekend would be destroyed if they lost. Whereas now, I kind of, if they do lose, I think it's quite funny and I m- move on quickly. Um, so it's not, how I, how I personally feel about City, well, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like the change, I feel it's quite difficult for me to separate how I, f- the change in how I feel about City because of my job and the change in how I feel about City because they're really good. Um, I suppose like, it's, it's, it's difficult to unpick those th- two things. I do, I mean, like anyone, I kind of, I think that like the buzz that you get from success is kind maybe slightly diluted by the way that it's rendered almost inevitable by spending a billion pounds. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's such a big topic. It's kind of difficult for me to spell mm-hmm. out exactly how I feel about it. Because I think as, as a, again, as a beat correspondent, you're in a slightly different position. Like, you, you kind of can be, you kind of can be more of a supporter than if you're covering several clubs or if you're working for a national. Because, and I think it's fair to say that all the ESPN beat correspondents of the top six kind of support their club on the side as well. Because it's it's in my interests for Tottenham to do really well. Because if Tottenham do well and get to Champions League finals and FA Cup finals, it furthers my career because yeah. I get to go to those events. Whereas I think f- for Jack, you know, it doesn't wouldn't have a huge you know if Spurs have a terrible season. It's not really going to have a, a significant impact on your no. career. Um, if Spurs go out you know go out of all the cups at the first round and aren't in Europe. I've only got kind of 40 games to do a season I've got a lot less work yeah. um, I'm a lot less busy and I'm a lot more bored so is it really in my interest um, for the team mm. I cover to do very well Could you ever do what Ben Pierce does and, and cover a team that's not your own? Well I can't speak for Ben but I think he has uh, I would say he's secretly adopted he's, Spurs He's got a soft spot for us <laughs> yeah, He's definitely got a soft spot I thought Ben was a Spurs fan until yeah. he told me otherwise Yeah I know he's, um, he's not I think I think it would be very difficult, honestly, for me to do that. Like, I, I do want, I do want in my career to, to expand and cover other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would ideally like to be, you know, either free ESPN or, or wherever, you know, in a position where I was a specialist on three or four teams, um, like Jack or, and, and other people. But I don't know whether someone said to me, you know, can you go and be the, the Chelsea beat reporter and just do Chelsea? Um, whether I would really want to do that. And then not just Chelsea, but yeah, yeah. any yeah, but yeah. any any other club. Yeah, I, I mean this this has been such a fascinating insight into what you both do. I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. And and at risk of sounding like I'm just blowing smoke up your asses. No, please, <laughs> no, do. <laughs> I did sort of want to say thank you for everything you do, sort of on Twitter and in in your you're very welcome independent and ESPN because I I do feel like we're very spoiled by the fact that we've got such level headed sensible talented writers writing about Spurs who are also incredibly um, what's the word I'm looking for open to to responding to people on Twitter as well there's never any um, you, you never get ignored if if I were to tweet one of you or or Ben or if anyone were to tweet one of you um, you're you're very open to communication with anyone and I, th- I do think we're lucky as Spurs fans to have such a good group of people um, covering the club for us so yeah thank you um, is there anything you feel like we've we've not covered that might be of interest to listeners or have we have we done it to um, death 
any kind of behind the scenes ITK <laughs> what's the scoop yeah what's Poch like we haven't actually <laughs> asked what Poch is yeah that's a good <laughs> that's question, a good question. Was, yeah. yeah he's really really good he's there are like I think I think that he's best when he's talking about like anecdotes or his kind of slightly sometimes slightly like off the wall theories about football and he's got he's got quite a like he's quite zany he, isn't yeah he? he's quite zany but he's also he's quite like romantic he's quite he, at Newport on Saturday he was telling us we were talking in the press conference after the game which was really good because he absolutely hammered the players like he said that oh, the motivation desire wasn't there and everything but at the end of the press conference he was saying like I he said like I was worried during the game but I really enjoyed it because for me this is like the real football it's pure passion like the the atmosphere and the pitch and everything uh, and he is someone who I mean this is really obvious if you've like heard him talk or if you've read the book he did with Guillaume Balagay like he, he he loves these kind of emotional passionate football occasions and I think he's at his best in press conferences when he's talking about that or just when he starts going off on one about like oh there was this one game with the Newell's old boys or there's one time at Espanyol and like it was all kicking off and I kicked someone in the bollocks and, <laughs> and uh, yeah when the former player comes out it's often Poch at his best I think yeah completely because he is like I think one thing that you can probably tell from if you read closely the stuff that comes out in the press conferences is he's not, he doesn't like going into details about current players. Like he's not, he'll hammer the players, for example, after the Newport game, he'll hammer the players as a group, but he won't really pick on individual players. And he won't, if you ask him like, how can player X improve this season? Or what does player Y need to do? Or what's gone wrong with him? Like he won't really go into detail because he doesn't like picking on players in public. Um, whereas he's much better kind of talking in, the, in generalities I think and is he a nice guy like aside from the Spurs side do you get a, the same sense of warmth from him that we as fans do On, honestly yeah I mean there, one, of, one, of, one journalist who goes quite often to Spurs said to me um, a few days ago oh I actually think um, I'm getting to like Poch too much as a person and it's, it's dangerous like genuinely one of the guys said that um, and there was an example earlier this season where, you know, one, one of the guys had had a, you know, had a tragedy in his personal life, and Poch kind of took the time after to to talk to him and, um, you know, say how, say how sorry he was. Um, so I think he really is a genuinely warm, nice bloke. Um, I would add that he does keep journalists at arm's length it's not like we've all got his numbers and yeah we, it's we not can, like we go to the pub with them after yeah it's not like we can you know I think in, in the days of Redknapp and Sherwood although I wasn't covering the club and this is just what I've heard you know if you weren't sure on something in the press conference you know it wasn't out you know it wasn't inconceivable that you just called up Redknapp afterwards and said look just want to clarify yeah. what are you talk- actually signing right now yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what, what you're talking about there um, and, and he would talk to you it's, it's not like that with Poch but you know he uh, he comes across as as very warm as you said and I think he does genuinely kind of care about people the other thing I'd say about Poch is that he has a lot of credit in the bank with the journalists that cover Spurs like we all like him we all think that he's a really good manager uh, We and that means that um, and we've all got a bit of a like Dan said we're not mates or anything but we have a bit of rapport with him and that means that if he you know I don't think that 
mistakes that he might make or you know, would like he doesn't really get hammered ever I think by the papers he's got um, he generally get I think he gets really positive coverage to be honest yeah he does he not like does. A, yeah. not wrongly but he does mm. um, and uh, yeah so he has kind of he has built that credit up and if he didn't have that I'm sure the, the coverage would, would be really different and, so and also, sorry, as well. no, sorry, current, current. No, just just that it's in his interest to sort of build that rapport as well in many ways. But I'm sure it's I'm sure he's not as cynical as that. I'm sure it's natural because he does. He just comes across as that kind of. It's, it's human nature as well. I mean, if you, if you see the same people, you know, every week or twice a week, yeah, eventually you you are going to have an understanding yeah. with them, yeah. and, and it's it's not like you, a really calculated thing to to be friendly or to have a have a bit of a joke. And would he remember the names of the kind of 15 press guys who were there at the end of a press conference? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if he, I don't know if he knows my name, but he certainly kind of recognises his faces. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree with Dan. And I think Perez, Perez is the guy who knows absolutely everything. I think he probably knows names, faces, who you work for. <laughs> He's the I, one with the dossier. Yeah. Uh, Dan wrote a very good piece about Hazel Perez the other day, which, if you're listening, is definitely worth reading. Oh, thank you. But he's kind of. Um, I think it's fair to say that Perez takes a more kind of hands-on approach. Like Perez will Perez will read what's written about Tottenham more than Pochettino will be, and then he might flag up to him. Have you seen X, Y, or Z? Mm. Well, thanks, guys. That was I mean such an interesting hour or so, and um, we could have gone on longer. I'm still there's more I wanted to ask, but that was that was great. Um, we always end the podcast by doing our further reading section, in which I ask if there's anything. An article, a book, or a podcast that you want to recommend, and I'll start off um, because I've only got one thing, and I'm worried that someone's going to steal it. Um, and just say that I've. It's on the way. No, it's not the Tottenham way. No, we're going to you're going you're gonna to pick up your own no, podcast. No, 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 no. Okay. I <laughs> know <laughs> uh, um, the piece Dave Heitner did about um, Eric Lamella, the interview, mm. which I thought was a really, really interesting interview. Um, went in a completely different direction to what I expected. Um, but it was great and gave a really insight into him as a person and how amusing and ridiculous he found the stories that were going around Twitter about him being on a drug ban. Bardi, how about you? Oh, I've been through a phase of reading a lot of tactics books and history books, but um, I finally got around to reading um, A Life Too Short, which is a story about Robert Enker, the German goalkeeper who took his own life, and it's a really deep insight into like how depression can take hold of you and how this goalkeeper who played for Mourinho and Jupp Heynckes at Benfica ended up at Barcelona and then within the space of a year was playing second division football in Spain because of crippling depression and anxiety and it was really, you know, it's not a, it's not a happy story but it's a really insightful one and really well written. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Wendy. Uh, Dave's interview with Eric Lamella was really, really good. Um, Dan's piece about Jesus Perez is really good for Spurs readers. Uh, I'm going to be incredibly arrogant and say that my I'm going to rec- I have to recommend our own podcast, the Indie Football Podcast, which comes out every Monday afternoon uh, with me and my colleagues at the Independent. Um, you enjoying doing that? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's fun. Um, we kind of do it every afternoon, uh, sorry, every Monday, so it comes out Monday night, um, and it's just a kind of look back on the last few days of the Premier League and sort of talking points of the week ahead. We did a bit uh, this time about we, how we couldn't believe that, in fact, Fernando Llorente has turned out to be even worse than Vincent Janssen. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Uh, I really enjoyed the Christmas special of the Tottenham Way, sort of a pub quiz, um, a bit. Two Tottenham Way recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not Christmas related. It's just uh, it's fun to play along. Well, thank you. I'm going to recommend Tottenham Way as well. Um, and if you're interested in, in this kind of podcast that we've just done, I do tend to talk about what Poch says in the press conferences and what the players have said in the mix zone and try and give a kind of journalistic eye on what's happened at Spurs. Um, also, I want to recommend a book that I've fairly recently finished um, called, I think it's called, If You Promise Not to Kiss Me. And it's about, ostensibly about Brian Clough. It's by a journalist called Duncan Hamilton. Um, and it's really about Clough, who I think every football fan should read about anyway. But it's also about how journalism used to be. Um, it's sort of almost slightly depressing to read now as a journalist in this uh, in the modern game, but it's it's great, and he and he he'll he'll talk about you know his relationship with Clough and and how it worked as both someone who spent almost every day with Clough as a Nottingham Post, Nottingham Forest reporter, but also someone who had to report on him and. He talks about the bollockings, he talks about driving home from most games with Clough and Peter Taylor, and it's a really, really interesting book about how it used to work as a beat reporter, covering one of the biggest clubs at the time, one of the biggest managers in the country, and I couldn't recommend it more. Awesome. So where can people read more of your content online, Dan? Dan underscore KP on Twitter. I don't really do... Um, I do have an Instagram account. Dan Killy P, but I never really go on it. <laughs> you don't take photos. I, I try and I try and get on Insta, but for now, Dan underscore KP on Twitter. And you link to all your content on there, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. How about you, Jack? Uh, I'm at Jack Pitbrook on Twitter and at J Pitbrook on Instagram, and you can find most of the rest of my stuff on the Independent. Cool. And Bardi TFC and yep. Nathan A Clark and I'm Windy Coys. Thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Do give us feedback and ideas for talking points. We're back in around about a month's time. We've got hopefully um, another really, really good guest lined up, just hoping it comes together. Um, I yeah. mean, how good are we talking? Good. Pretty good. Mm. Pretty good. Okay. Yeah, we've got a few in the pipeline. We've got a few people Tricky in line. Tricky to follow, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, mean, Jack, I don't know if you heard, Jack, but you actually made our trailer for uh, for The Extra Inch. One of your quotes from the, the podcast you were on made the trailer, so... There you go. But thank you for listening. Please do um, rate, review on iTunes and be sure to follow the Twitter feed. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. Oh, that was really interesting, mate. Yeah. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. 
Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.